step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm so excited about today's show. My guest is AIDS activist Steve Peters, who in 1984 was given eight months to live. He has defied his original prognosis and five near-death experiences to live a full, passion, and purpose-filled life. I'm your host, Jan Jaffe. Welcome to In-Depth. Prior to his diagnosis with AIDS, Reverend Peters served as the pastor of the Metropolitan Community Church, or MCC, of Hartford from 1979 to 1982, where he was a leading gay activist. Diagnosed with GRID, G-R-I-D, in 1982 and ARC, in 1983, he went on to develop full-blown AIDS, stage 4 lymphoma, and Kaposi's sarcoma in April of 1984. He was given eight months to live. In 1985, his cancers went into complete remission while on Suramin, the first antiviral drug trial. Unfortunately, Suramin nearly killed him, and sadly it did kill a number of other people with AIDS. The trial was ended, but but Peter's cancers remained in complete remission, and he fully recovered from the toxic side effects of Suramin in 1987. Reverend Peters served for the next 11 years as field director of AIDS ministry for the MCC denomination. He traveled the world teaching and preaching about hope, grief, and surviving AIDS. He also volunteered as a chaplain at an AIDS hospice in Los Angeles. As an AIDS activist, he served on the, the Los Angeles AIDS Task Force, as well as the boards of directors of AIDS Project Los Angeles and the AIDS National Interfaith Network. He was featured in Life, Time, and Omni magazines, as well as the Los Angeles Times. He regularly appeared on CNN, was interviewed by people as diverse as Tom Snyder and Tammy Faye Baker, and was profiled by Jane Pauley to mark the 10th anniversary of the first diagnosis of AIDS. Steve became sick again in 2007 and over the next six years battled a number of illnesses, including pancreatitis, which nearly killed him in 2012. However, he came back from death's door once again, having had five near-death experiences since 1985, and he has now been relatively healthy since 2014. Most recently, he has reversed his type 2 diabetes through diet and exercise. Steve received his Bachelor of Science in Speech from Northwestern University, his M. Divinity from McCormick Theological Seminary, and his M.A. in Clinical Psychology from Antioch University in Los Angeles. Steve is now retired and lives in Los Angeles, where he takes great delight in singing beautifully, by the way, with the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. I am so excited to have Steve Peters as my guest on today's show. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Jan. It's great to be here. Oh, and it's so great to have you here. I am, as I mentioned, I am just so delighted. The number here is 646 Nine three nine seven. We welcome your calls, questions, comments, and contribution to the discussion. We love your participation. The number again is six four six seven one six nine three nine seven. You know, Steve, first of all, I just want to say what a treat it is to have you here on the show today as a guest. Um, and I also want to mention, I, you know, there's so much I want to get into, but I notice that we also we already have a caller. So, oh my goodness. Um, so I I I think 
you know, if it's okay with with you, Steve, I think we might first just check in with our caller. What do you think about that? Sure, that's fine. Okay. Caller, your number ends in 2857. I was wondering if you would like to join us now or wait a little bit into, further into the show. I'm happy to join you now. Hello. Hello, hello. I think I recognize this voice. <laughs> Um, I'm calling in because there were two things in Peter's uh, biography that kind of caught my attention. One is that you went to Phillips Andover in in your younger years. And I lived on Lock Street. I lived in a house that used to belong to the headmaster in the early 20th century. And uh, after he died, uh, his daughter lived there, and I bought the house from his daughter. And so we were right off the Phillips campus. uh, Yes. Yes. I don't know. You you must know where Lock Street is. Oh, sure. Well, I grew up in Andover. Uh, My father was on the faculty at Phillips Academy. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Lock Street. Sure. Okay. One one interesting story is the reason I bought the house, or, or one of the reasons, was that the previous owner had been head of the garden club in Andover, and she had the most fabulous wildflower garden in her backyard, which really was the reason I loved the house. The house had been run down and had to do extensive renovation. But the flower garden was magnificent. Well, and many years later, after I moved, I took my wife there to show her where I had lived. And there was no one home, unfortunately. But we looked over the fence in the backyard, and it was a swimming pool with a little bit of grass around it. Oh, no. <laughs> we were devastated. devastated. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to tell you, the other connection, is that my wife, Went to Northwestern, also in the theater school, as you did, and uh-huh. loved it, and so had a great experience. So that's the end of my connection. Okay. <laughs> well, that's Is great. it all right if I identify you? You may. I, this is this is my cousin Michael, uh, my ah, dear cousin okay. Michael. So I'm very uh-huh. I'm very honored and and thrilled to have him join us. So as always, yes. it's just a delight to have to hear your voice, Michael, and um, and you know to have you call in. Thank you so much. Good. Keep it up, Jen. Bye bye. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Michael. You take care and love to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, oh, okay. Well, that was that was fun, and what uh-huh. a lovely connection. You know, Steve, uh-huh. you have such an interesting and inspiring story, and I wonder if you would mind. You know, I already gave a, a rundown of your story, but I, I wonder right. if you would mind sharing, you know, some of it or talking about it with our listening audience. Sure. Well, uh, I, you know, I think the, the the most interesting part of it was that, you know, being diagnosed in 1982 with GRID or gay-related immunodeficiency, it was a time when there was so much fear because we didn't even know how it was transmitted back then. And I was I, I was terrified, and everybody around me was terrified, and um, uh, in and I got sicker and sicker and sicker, and was sick through eighty two, eighty three, and into eighty four, uh, when I was diagnosed with the two kinds of terminal cancer and given eight months to live. When I, I when I was diagnosed with that, the doctor said, "There's nothing we have to offer. We can't." There are no medicines, and uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to stay alive long enough for us to find a way to manage it. And so I set about finding, you know, creating my own wellness program. Um, I read books about people who had beaten cancers that they weren't supposed to survive, and I put together my wellness program from that. There was nothing written about AIDS back then. Uh, And so... Um, I did everything I could think of to create the conditions for healing in my body. 
And uh, that included exercise and nutrition and vitamins and minerals and and uh, laughter therapy and music therapy. I would drive around the freeways of Los Angeles with uh, you know music and uh, playing in my car and just sing along with it and think you know oh if I can only hold this note as long as Judy Garland held it I know I'll survive. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know and uh, it was just. I, I put everything I could into surviving, and when I did uh, survive the the eight months prognosis, my doctor invited me to be the very first patient to go on the very first antiviral, as you mentioned, a drug called Suramin, um, and it put my lymphoma and Kaposi's sarcoma into complete remission. Um, I'll never forget the first night I was in the hospital uh, to receive the first dose of, of uh, Suramin. Um, the the uh the uh, there was a nurse watching me full time and uh, uh and you know we anticipated some really heavy side effects on that first night and nothing happened uh there were no side effects in the initial dose and the nurse was so bored i was so bored i started singing old songs like things look swell things look great <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and finally the nurse wrote down in my chart the only significant side effect with with Suramin is singing like Ethel Merman. <laughs> Hilarious. But, yeah. Well, it proved to be extremely toxic. It blew out my adrenal glands. Um, it uh, paralyzed me on the left side of my body. I went blind. Um, all of which reversed itself eventually when I got off the drug. But um, I took the drug longer than anybody else took it. I took it for a total of 36 weeks. And the drug was so toxic, it killed 20% of the people who took it. And er almost everybody else died from the progression of AIDS within a year or two. Um, I was very fortunate to survive that the side effects, you know, subsided and I got well. And... um, uh, so it was a remarkable time in my life. I mean, in the 80s, nobody survived AIDS, or at least that's what mm-hmm. we thought. Uh, so, uh, you know, a great fuss was made over me because uh, I survived against the odds, and I actually got well. Um, so um, that's that's the I think that's the most dramatic part of my story. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, it's true. I think most of us, at least who were around back in those days, do have friends, you know, who lo- we all lost friends. Anybody that had AIDS, especially early, nobody yeah. lived. It was a death sentence back then. That's so right. That's right. It, is, it is amazing what you went through. And yeah. uh, But, you know, I'm so delighted that you're still with us. Um, <laughs> I am, I, too. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I want to mention, too, I don't think um, I, it's been mentioned. I know Steve, I won't say how many years, but we uh, were in college uh, together, and uh-huh. we did a couple of shows together, and yes. you played my father in a Gilbert and Sullivan uh, operetta. <laughs> right. And, yes. oh, my God, it was such good times. We were very young, and Steve has an absolutely beautiful voice, and you were well, so, and so talented does Jan, on stage. It should stage. be known. Oh, thank you. But, um, yeah, we go back a long way, and Steve was always very, very impressive. Um, You know, one of the things, I guess, that, and, you know, I don't know if you want to mention this at all. Um, When we had talked, when we've talked before, you talked about um, your challenge with with coming out and just even coming out to yourself, accepting, accepting, That you were gay. I mean, it's a very different time now. Then it, yeah. it's not easy. You know, I'm not saying that it's oh, it's it's a piece of cake now, but um, right. it's a very different time now than it was. Yeah. Um, you know, when when we were growing up. So exactly. I don't know if you want to talk about any of that. Um, sure. Yeah, sure. because well, you know, just as a service to other people, but also yeah. it it. It tells a little bit more just about you and your character. Yeah. So, I would you mind sharing some of that with the oh, audience? Of course, of course, that'd be fine. Um, Thanks. I, yeah, 
I knew that I was different, that I was attracted to boys rather than girls from as far back as I can remember. And I also knew somehow that somewhere I learned that I was to be deeply ashamed of that and that I should keep that a deep, dark secret. And and so I grew up, uh, especially after I I passed adolescence, I, I got into adolescence, I was terrified that anybody would ever find find out I was gay, and uh, so I talked to a, a psychiatrist about it, who told me that it was a phase and that I shouldn't mention anything to my parents or anybody else because I'd outgrow it and I didn't wouldn't want to embarrass myself before I outgrew it, and uh, and I talked to a pastor, the pastor of the church we went to. Uh, who said much the same thing, that he didn't know anything about it, but he knew that I shouldn't say anything because that would ruin my life. Um, and mm-hmm. so I I didn't talk about it, and I just tried to keep it hidden for years and years and years uh, until I was 23. And when I was 23, I, I came bursting out of the closet um, <laughs> because I, you know, I... Uh, I should mention that that I'm a recovering alcoholic and and I drank alcoholically through college and and the first year after college or 18 months after college and I finally crawled into the rooms uh of the 12 step programs that you know we all know about now and uh and I got sober um and I knew that in order to stay sober I had to get honest about who I was and this was the 70s and you know we were facing fights uh, from Anita Bryant and John Briggs and Harvey Milk was my hero uh who was the you know leading gay activist and city council member in San Francisco and and uh you know it was a great time to be gay we had so much fun and there was such a sense of liberation and freedom uh that was born at Stonewall there in New York City in in 69 um and Oh, my goodness, it was heady stuff, um, and I was so glad that I came out. And it served me well in future years because, you know, in the 80s when everybody started, all these gay men started dying, um, I realized that, uh, you know, uh, I rem- let's put it this way. I remembered my favorite fairy tale. Uh, my favorite childhood story was Peter Pan, and in Peter Pan, you know, uh, we're, we're, we learn from Peter that a fairy is born every time a baby laughs for the first time. That's where fairies come from. And mm-hmm. when the child grows old enough to say, I don't believe in fairies anymore, that fairy drops down dead. Well, in the 80s, all kinds of good fairies, including myself, started mm-hmm. dying. And mm-hmm. I realized that uh, you know, we really needed to start believing in fairies. We needed to believe in our own uh, selves and believe that we deserve to live and believe in the magic of fairies and and the the possibilities of of uh, you know living fully alive even with HIV and AIDS. Uh, so, you know, my coming out was a very empowering experience and uh and that empowerment um moved me into believing in myself enough to do the work of healing uh and uh to and eventually to survive the unsurvivable. Oh, that's wonderful. I love the way you 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 expressed all of that. Um, mm. It just shows such strength and such uh, acceptance of yourself <laughs> and love, you know, of everything and everyone. It's, you know, it was real. You said burst out of the closet, but I, it's, it's mm. almost, it reminds me of that time-lapse photography when, when, you know, plants bloom and you see them opening up as flowers. And that's yes. kind of what it reminds me of. Oh, yes. nice. You know, life you. beginning, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so um, you've said, uh, you know, before that AIDS saved your life, and most people would think that that's a contradiction in terms. So mm-hmm. would you mind expounding on that a bit? Sure. Well, you know, before AIDS, I was, you know, I came bursting out of the closet, yes, but and I was sober, and so all those good things were happening in my life. 
but I was kind of floundering, and I didn't, you know, I was a pastor, but I wasn't a great pastor. I was an okay pastor, a good enough pastor. And um, I was uh, just sort of muddling my way through life, and I was very lonely and, and all of that, and I just, you know, I didn't know quite how to negotiate life. Um, and AIDS became a great teacher to me uh, and and really taught me how to be fully alive, even in the face of death. Um, I think my faith uh, really helped me out a lot in those terms. Um, I was invited to preach the Easter sermon two weeks after I was diagnosed as terminal uh, in 84. And without getting into too much you know, theology or anything like that, um, it was an incredibly valuable experience to look at what it meant to believe in the Easter story um, as someone facing death. And what it taught me was that my life wasn't quite yet over, that I could be fully alive even in the face of death, in the face of AIDS. Um, I could still laugh. I could still sing. I could still dance. I could still enjoy all my friends. I could still be fully alive. And uh, and I could, and it empowered me to do everything I could to create the conditions for my healing, as I said before. Um, yeah. Oh wow, uh, that's uh, that's so beautiful. It's so inspiring. You know, I want to talk about your philosophy of life. In our conversations, Uh-oh. you've spoken repeatedly about how much you love life. You spoke mm-hmm. about how making choices was and is. Uh, essential when dealing with life-threatening health conditions in order to live fully, as you've just mentioned, when you can't but you want to do everything. You've also Mm. stated that problems create a great challenge to get into action. I love that. Mm. A great challenge to get into action. Um, And that taking action creates hope. I love that. Taking action, and I want everybody to listen, Taking action creates hope. You've also talked about your personal philosophy of life as be here now and living in the present. You've told me how you've learned and always keep in mind that there are no guarantees for tomorrow and that we are all terminal. This reminds you and keeps present in your mind what what a gift life is. You know, yeah. I hear gratitude present as a constant in your thought processes. And you've also mentioned that psychology and theology have been your recipe for the antidote to shame and guilt. You told yeah. me and you've told everybody now that um, AA was invaluable mental preparation and instrumental in constructing this philosophy that's not only served you well, but also allowed you to survive, um, thrive, and flourish do you think yes. that AA would be a good therapy for AIDS patients or perhaps even anyone diagnosed with a life-altering condition? Well, uh, sure. I, you know, I really think the 12 steps are an invaluable tool that are given to those of us who are recovering alcoholics or addicts or overeaters. Or, you know, there are just so many different 12-step programs now for different kinds of problems that life presents. And and it's been my experience that people who were barely alive and, and actually dying, uh, when they get into doing the 12 steps, they come to life. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful recipe for, for finding the solutions. Um, we often talk about in the, in the rooms of AA, we talk about living in the solution rather than living mm-hmm. in the problem. Uh, and, and, I, you know, and, and the importance of prayer and meditation, the importance of being of service, the importance of cleaning house, um, you know, it, it, cleaning house meaning dealing with your resentments and dealing with uh, making amends to people uh, that you have harmed, to people and in institutions that you may have harmed. Um, and... All of that combines to bring you to a fullness of life, which I think that that many of us who are in recovery now uh, lacked when we weren't in recovery. 
And so I say, you know, yeah, I think it could be valuable to almost anybody for uh, in terms of helping people learn how to live. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't feel the motivation to do the steps uh, mm. until they come smack up against, uh, a, you know, a a life a, a huge life problem. Um, mm-hmm. And and you need motivation to do the steps because, you know, it's 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 not easy. Um, it's simple, but it's not easy. Uh, so no, it's a lot this, of work. This, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And this thing about being here now, I didn't I didn't come up with that. I mean, that's Ram Dass, mm-hmm. be here now. Um, and it's a beautiful philosophy, and it's very consistent with the 12 steps, uh, which teach us to be present in the present moment, to only t- take one day at a time. I can handle, for 12 hours, I can handle a problem that, uh, you know, I just, that, there was no way I could handle it for a lifetime. But for 12 hours, I can handle it. Or for 24 hours, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and breaking it down to just being in the moment and facing things in the moment really helps keep things simpler. Um, and sometimes those of us who, at least those of us who have addiction problems, um, need to keep things simple. The other mm-hmm. thing that you mentioned that I, that I want to come back to is that, you know, the, the there. A lot of times people would, like, feel really sorry for me because I was dying, uh, because Mm -hmm. I didn't have any guarantee, you know, that I would be here eight months from now or five months from now or tomorrow. And what I would tell people is, you know, none of us have any guarantees about being here tomorrow. You know, Mm -hmm. you can get hit by a bus or, you know, God forbid, a nuclear bomb should fall or, or, you know... uh, uh, and there are all kinds of different ways that we can die. But the fact is that we're all going to die. And just because I have been given a prognosis of eight months doesn't mean that I will die before you. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of people who looked at me pityingly ab- about, you know, having an eight-month prognosis um, who died long before I have, you know, obviously mm-hmm. I'm not dead yet. So, but I mean, the, a lot of people, a lot of people who took care of me in the 80s, mm-hmm. subsequently died themselves uh, from AIDS and cancer and all kinds of other things. Um, so, that sense that none of us have any guarantees about tomorrow um, makes me really present to the present moment. Can you hear the helicopters that are flying over my yes. house? <laughs> oh my God! I'm so sorry about that. That's okay. It's not bad. It just sounds like okay. something. I wasn't sure what it was. But you know, when you're talking about living in the moment and living in the present, I mean, that's one of the things as life coaches that that we're constantly um, talking about with people is okay. because when you're if you're living in the past, you're not here in the moment, and you can't live in the future. The only way that you can create yeah. your future is by living in the moment. And, oh. right, and and the other yeah. thing is, yeah. you know, it's such a good example. Unfortunately, what's going on in the world, and even especially our country, you don't know what's going to happen. We're losing people all over the place, all right. around us. We keep hearing right. about things, plus some of the, the horrible things that are going on in other countries. So there is no guarantee. You can be perfectly right. healthy and gone tomorrow. I mean, that sounds right. kind of... Um, That's right. You know, not a nice, happy thought, but um, no. that's the reality. So it is important to be here, be present in the moment with 100% energetic engagement as as you have been living your life. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. want to take a moment for our sponsor here on the Life Coach Radio sure. Network. We're proud to have as our sponsor Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet, offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products 
which include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audiobook with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Now here are some Audible books related to today's topic. And the, bl- the Band Played On, Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic by Randy Schiltz. The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences, How Understanding NDEs Can Help Us to Live More Fully by Penny Sartori. And Hold Tight Gently, Michael Callan, Essex Hemphill, and the Battlefield of AIDS by Martin Duberman. So don't forget to sign up for a one-month free trial to get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Audible.com, making listening a tool for life. And now back to our show. So we are now in part two of my interview with Steve Peters, uh, AIDS activist. And um, we welcome your calls, comments, and participation in the show. We love it. uh, The number here to reach us, if you would care to join us, is 646-716-9397. Again, 646-716-9397. So you've mentioned that you've had five near-death experiences, Steve. You know, I've never known anyone else who has experienced this. So would you mind describing the experience, what it's like? Oh, sure. Well, you know, it's, it's very, I mean, I've experienced the same thing that countless numbers of people have reported on uh, in their near-death experience. I, I remember the first time that I experienced it was in 1985 while I was on that experimental drug, Suramin. And um, I was in the hospital I was in actually in the emergency room waiting to be hospitalized, and uh, I was in the triage room, and they were trying to draw blood from me, and the blood just stopped flowing. And I remember them saying, pump your hand, Steve, pump your hand, you know, to try and get the blood flowing. And at that moment, I remember looking down on my body on the scene and wondering, why isn't he doing what they're telling him to do? And then I just didn't care anymore. I was in this tunnel, a dark tunnel with a bright light at the end, and I was surrounded by people who had loved me uh, and had gone before me. Um, and uh, I, I remember, very, I mean, my grandparents, you know, all kinds of different people, but one person in particular I remember was the, the mail carrier from when I was a little boy. Uh, he used to call me Steve Arino, and he was the only person who called me Steve Arino, and he was there. Uh, what a surprise to see him there. And um, I think, the, though, the, the most amazing, remarkable thing about all my near-death experiences was that sense of peace that just washed over me, that... I finally understood all the things that, you know, I didn't understand about myself and and I understood, you know, why the world was way the way it was and there was just such a peace uh, the peace that passes all understanding. Mm-hmm. And uh I was just so comfortable and I felt completely loved. I felt completely whole, uh, and then I was back in my body, and I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and that basically is how I've experienced it each time I've crossed over and and uh, mm. come back, and and I know that. You know, a lot of scientists will say, oh, it's, you know, those near-death experiences are just the result of the brain shutting down and chemicals misfiring in the brain as the brain shuts down. Uh, but, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if that's what they think. I know what I have experienced, and I know that that kind of peace and 
love uh, just transcends, you know, the body, that transcends life, um, and to me is evidence of the divine. Uh, mm. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you say, you know, I'm, I've already heard you talk about this wonderful sense of peace, and it sounds as though you're already aware of, or what I what I hear from that is that you know there's this understanding that the human condition, or being human, living in our bodies, not living as a soul, but living, you know, in our bodies, there is a certain anxiety. Of, of being human, that when you're yes. released from that earthly body, all of that is gone, and it's, it's like all of the pieces of a puzzle suddenly come together. Um, exactly. And there's this great understanding. So I'm wondering what you feel you have learned, if anything, through these near-death experiences. Oh, golly. Well, I, I you know, certainly I go back to being present in the in the present moment and just focusing on what's right there in front of you. Um, and I, you know, when I do begin feeling anxious, uh, you know, I try to remember that sense of peace and wholeness. And, um, and tr- you know, it's, it's, it's like an acting exercise. Uh, you know, if I'm all anxious about this side or the other thing, I, I, I try to act as if I were at mm-hmm. peace. And, uh, and I use meditation and prayer, but particularly meditation, to let go of anxiety and stress and come back to that sense of peace that I have felt five times now. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the anxiety is just not worth it. And, uh, you know, it doesn't solve the problem. Um, what solves mm-hmm. the problem is being at peace and allowing the answers to come through whatever you believe in um, to that place of peace. Mm-hmm. So kind of the divine, or it sounds as though you recognized or you, uh, through these experiences uh, that there is a divine within or that we yes. are part of the great divine. Uh, the, I don't know if you know anything about the teachings of Kabbalah, but um, it, really. the teachings of yeah. I'm sorry. Not really, no. Tell me. Uh, well, it really it, it teaches us that we are all part of it. it. The the Big Bang theory. I won't spend much time on this. The Big Bang theory <laughs> is when okay. we were this great vessel and it, we broke into a number of different pieces. And we were all part of this um, great divine. Um, and we all broke into different individual vessels, which are individual people, but we are all connected, um, uh-huh. you know, as in our energetic form. So I'm wondering if you think then there's any reason why you kept coming back. I know you're a man of faith, and uh-huh. you feel that faith is very important to even your being healthy and continuing on and being healthy not just physically but spiritually and yeah. um you know and that that is all connected that the body and you know the physical if it if you are connected you know body mind spirit as people say um there is a huge connection and if you're if you're if you're dead phys- uh, spiritually that's going to affect your physical being so Absolutely. i'm wondering if if there if you think there is any particular reason why you kept coming back from those experiences, those near-death experiences? Well, I think of two answers to that. One is that I'm not done yet. I have more to Mm -hmm. do, you know, and uh, there's just a sense of destiny, you know, uh, that that I have more to fulfill. Um, And the second answer to it is I love life. (laughs) I really (laughs) do. And I can't seem to get enough of it. I mean, my life just keeps getting better and better, Jan. It really does. And I'm just constantly surprised at the wonderful things that keep happening to me and the wonderful events I get to be a part of and, and uh, you know, the, the experiences that I get to have um, and the love that I get to experience and, you know, the, the opportunity to be of service. Uh, I mean, all of that combines into a huge reason to not, you know, stay there 
which in that place that is so beautiful. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I just, I love life and I don't want to miss anything. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is so beautiful. You know, there, I, gosh, I have, there's so much we can talk about. Unfortunately, we have a limited amount of time. So I want to jump yeah. ahead okay. to, um, to some stuff that is just, so it's just so, and I think our listeners are going to probably really want to know about too. So I know you've been interviewed by a lot of people, but please uh-huh. tell us about the Tammy Faye Baker interview. You know how that came to be. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if anybody, it's on it's YouTube, right? Steve, people right. can find it online. So if you want to, but wait till after the show. But yes. yeah, do go. It's it's fantastic. So. Um, and your 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 eyeglasses are so. What is the eighties? Eighties. So yes. 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 The eighties. <laughs> I love it. Glasses. The whole thing yeah. is, is fabulous. So you know, how did this come to be, and the significance? Because there was a lot of there was quite a bit of significance, um, right. both for before you know for this interview coming to be, and then the aftermath. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I want to talk also about the resulting fallout for Tammy Baker okay. from that interview. Yeah. So yeah. tell us all about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, I had done quite a lot of, of media uh, already. I mean, there were very, there were no other people with AIDS in the early 80s who were talking on the level of media about the experience of having AIDS. And I had done a lot of media as a gay activist in the 70s and early 80s, so I just kind of fell naturally into uh, talking about my experience. So, anyway, um, Tammy Faye Baker decided that she wanted to interview a gay man with AIDS because no other televangelist had ever done that. Um, and this was 1985, uh, November of 85. Well, her producers scoured all of the southeastern and eastern United States and couldn't find anybody who was willing to go on the show with her. Um, and they they finally called the AIDS Project in Atlanta, whose executive director, Ken South, um, was a friend of mine, and he directed them to me. He And they called, and they said, uh, you know, Tammy would like to do this show, and we negotiated back and forth, and I, I said, I want it to be live, so you can't edit it and make it appear like I'm saying something that I, I'm not saying, you know, which I feared uh, would happen with the televangelist who, you know, t- to this point had always had negative things about gay men and about lesbians and about AIDS in particular, mm-hmm. which was God's punishment for the abomination <laughs> that is homosexuality, right? Ugh. Right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. time. Yeah. So, um, so I agreed to do it, and um, they 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 wanted me to come to Charlotte. They sent me two first air class first class air tickets to Charlotte, so uh, somebody could accompany me. Because this was while I was doing sermon, and it it was two okay. weeks after my my first near death experience. So I was kind of weak, and I needed help. Well, anyway, as we were headed out the door to the airport, the Tammy's producers called and said, "Don't come." Um, we're going to try and figure out another way to do it. And they did. Uh, they decided to do the first ever satellite hookup that PTL, the network that Jim and Tammy Baker owned, um, the first satellite interview they ever did. So I sat in the studio out here, and uh, and I was, uh, you know, I was on a TV uh, ne- sitting next to Tammy Faye Baker, who proceeded to interview me for 25 minutes, um, the interview was live, and she was so supportive. She asked a lot of what you and I might consider to be really stupid questions, but they were the right questions for her audience, you know, mm-hmm. asking questions like, well, maybe you're gay because you never really gave women a fair try. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh that's dear. it. Well, Tammy. it was a different no, time, uh, and I I just I don't know if, if, if you know I, the age range really varies of my listening audience and uh-huh. I don't know if people remember Tammy Faye Baker um but, but yeah. Tammy and her husband Jim Baker had a network called you referred to as PTL it was Praise the Lord so right. it was a very different time and I think at yeah. this point Jim was already 
he had been arrested, right? Is this after? No, no, no. That had not happened yet. Oh, that had um, not happened yet. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I'm jumping that the didn't gun. happen for another few years. But um, uh, they built this huge empire with an amusement park, a Christian amusement park outside Charlotte, North Carolina. Anyway, so anyway, Tammy ended up being very supportive of me and very positive about you know the possibility of being a gay Christian, which appalled Jerry Falwell and Jimmy Swaggart, who got hold of the interview and made a decision that you know this was the straw that broke the camel's back for them, and they started strategizing on how to bring Jim and Tammy down. Uh, and destroy PTL, which they did three or four years later. And that's when Jim was arrested and uh, uh, for fraud and all of that sort of thing. And, um, and it was a turning point in Tammy Baker's life, too, I am told, uh, by someone who was friends with her, because she decided that she had a positive, um, affirm- affirming ministry to gay and lesbian people and that uh, uh, and to people with AIDS. And she started going to MCC, the, the primarily gay and lesbian denomination. Um, and she started, uh, you know, going to hospices and, and being with gay men with AIDS as they died and, and all of that. I mean, it turned her life around. And so when Jim was arrested and PTL was destroyed, Tammy went on to have a very positive relationship with the gay community. Um, and I'm told that my interview was the turning point for her in, in making all that happen. So wow. it was a remarkable event in my life. And I will probably always, I mean, when I eventually do die, uh, I bet you the Tammy Faye Baker interview will be at the top of my obituary uh, oh. <laughs> rather than anything else about me. Um, that seems to be what most people uh, know me for. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it is on YouTube if you search Tammy Faye Baker and Steve Peters, spelled with an I. Um, P-I-E-C-E-R-S. Yes. Exactly. Then then you'll come up with this interview. Yeah. Well, you know what? I can even after the show, I will put it onto the um the show uh, information page. So, oh, okay. uh, if you go on there, um we can you can also find it there, but it's true. If you go into YouTube and you just search for Steve Peters and Tammy Baker and you will it will come up. Um yeah. if you so yeah. that's easily found. I think you can even just put it into Google search. Um, So this interview was so instrumental um, in Tammy Baker's uh, life and career that Uh Charlene Tilton of the old TV show Dallas that was very Uh popular for many years, Charlene Tilton, what what role did she play again on Dallas? Do you remember? She was Lucy Ewing. That's it. She was Lucy. She was the, the, the young blonde vixen. I think she was series. right. She was the niece of um, Jr. Yes, of Jr. Right. Ewing. Yes, if anybody yeah. remembers it, but that goes back quite a ways too. But anyway, she created a show about Tammy Baker, right? In, and your character is featured, um, right? And the your your interview, this particular interview we're talking about, is actually part uh-huh. of the play. Um, an actor is playing you. Uh, in right. the show, and um, well, why don't you tell us about that? Well, you you know, I got a call from a friend saying, you know, do you, would you like to have dinner with Charlene Tilton? And I said, well, sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she said, uh, Charlene Tilton is doing a, a show about Tammy Baker. And uh, when we did have dinner, Charlene told me that, you know, the, she and Tammy were friends in the last years of Tammy's life, and Tammy gave her the rights to her story. So uh, Charlene created this play, um, and uh, it's it's basically a one-woman show, except that I am featured, or my interview is featured throughout the show as as the turning point in Tammy's life that it was. And in the end of the at the end of the show, I come back and help her across as she's dying, and of course the implication being that I'm dead. So. Uh, <laughs> In the it, when the play was produced out here in L.A., um, they had me come and sit in the audience, uh, and 
and then they introduced me. Uh, Charlene introduced me after the interview, after the uh, play was after the curtain calls, and um, and so I would pop up out of the audience looking fully alive and healthy, and the audience was <laughs> stunned every time. <laughs> he's back I, again. <laughs> he's back! Oh my God, <laughs> he's alive. He's alive. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, um, it was it was it was a remarkable experience for me. First mm-hmm. of all, to see myself portrayed on stage by an actor uh, who actually looked quite a lot like I looked back in the eighties, um, and it was the second time that I had been portrayed on stage. Uh, Twenty some years ago, uh, a young playwright actor read my book, uh, I'm Still Dancing, and, uh, and decided to make a one-man show out of it. And, and uh, so he, and, and I saw it a, a number of times, and, and he, so it, it's totally bizarre. Take my word for it. It's totally weird to see yourself portrayed on stage, to hear your words spoken by an actor in, in the context of a play. It's just a wonderful and weird experience. <laughs> oh well, I you know what I would love to um, to see. I don't know if that play is is if there's a recording of it somewhere because I'm not out in L.A. and that the 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 show was done in L.A. of course. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, if they're talking about taking it to New York, so it it Ooh. may yet be out there in New York. Yeah, it's called Tammy Faye tweets. At least that's the <laughs> working title at this moment. Um, and the whole premise is that Tammy Faye is in heaven looking back on her life. And, of course, now people tweet. So Tammy, mm-hmm. always wanting to be up on the latest stuff, she's tweeting from heaven. Uh, oh, I and, love it. Yeah, and Charlene yeah. Tilton played – I saw the, the the photos of you know right. her transformation into Tammy Baker online, and it was yeah. really remarkable. You know, there's know. two other things. We're running out of time, so I really want to yeah. cover a couple of other things quickly. Sure. Um, you have mentioned the importance of faith. You already for, uh, you know told us about how you felt about fairies, but um, you 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 mentioned or you've mentioned in the past about um, the importance of faith in um just in living fully and living healthily and just in your survival and how well you've done and how you know how much it, you alive you are and also yeah. the importance of believing in fairies. So would you mind yeah. elaborating just a little bit on that for us? Well sure. Um I we've talked about believing in fairies but I mean the broader issue is believing in something beyond yourself. Mm. I I mean when I was failing, my body was deteriorating. It was hard to believe in myself, but I could believe in in God. Uh, and uh, so believing in something beyond yourself when you're dying, when your body is, you know, what some people consider betraying you, um, mm-hmm. it's really important to believe that there is a power that's greater than yourself and you know it may be the tide coming in or it may be the the moon rising each night or the mm. sun rising each day but and it may be god as you know as you find god through your own spiritual journey but it's it's really important that you not just center in yourself but that you center in something beyond yourself to believe in yourself in my training as a psychotherapist you know, it was really important for us to learn that it was important for me to learn that one of the ways you can tell somebody is in real trouble psychologically is that they don't believe in anything beyond mm-hmm. themselves. And a good sign of mental health is believing in, in a power greater than yourself, which is something that the 12 steps teach us give us mm-hmm. um so oh, that is so important and you know for some people it's believing in fairies uh, and uh, <laughs> or believing in leprechauns or you know pyramids or whatever or angels Whistle. yeah angels right. yeah yeah or you know what for some people like like you know uh, like us it's believing in uh-huh. music music is almost like yes. a religion art and music you know yes. these, these are the things that that can help keep you grounded and sane Absolutely. and and finding Absolutely. the joy 
in yeah, in yeah. life. And all, so I'd also like to know what advice would the Steve Peters of today give the Steve Peters of the early 70, 1970s or thereabouts? Ooh, that is such a good question, Jan. What would I say to myself back then? I would say be strong, be sure of yourself, be confident, be okay with yourself, that being gay is absolutely a wonderful thing, and that when you finally come out, you are going to thrive because you will finally have the freedom to be yourself. So don't be afraid. Um, I was riddled with fear back then uh, and anxiety about who I was, about how I would be in the world, about what I would do with my life. And as long as I lived in that fear, I was paralyzed, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and Please. when I and so I would tell myself, get over it, Queen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and just just be alive and be yourself. The people will love you the, all the more for being yourself. And indeed, I've found that to be true. Uh, and and as I have become more myself, I have been become more alive and more fully alive and uh you know the the gifts uh, the gift of being yourself and being proud of who you are of mm-hmm. of owning who you are uh, it's beyond measurement beyond measurement you know you're talking about authenticity and acceptance yeah. and yes. and how those two things because what people don't understand sometimes with what the the, the depth of what authenticity is and you have just described it so beautifully and oh. acceptance too and yeah. you know people sometimes think that uh, what you know authentic, authenticity and acceptance is kind of an acquiescence into some kind of weakness and acceptance yeah. of of something negative and it's just the opposite yeah. so uh you just described it so well i can't thank you enough and i also cannot yeah. believe how this hour has really flown by oh my god uh, it's, it's just, over isn't it oh my I god know. how can did you that believe happen that? I, oh. i'm hoping i i really am hoping that we can do this again there's so much more to talk about steve so i'd love to invite you back i oh, would I'd re- love i hope to. we can do I'd love to. oh this is amazing and you know because we're we're like at the, at the end of our show i can't believe we're yeah. at the top of the hour so i want to thank my amazing guest and dear old friend and when i say old i don't mean he's old i mean we've been friends for i won't even say how many years yeah, for being yeah. steve peters thank you for being on the show today this has been such a special treat for me it really has <laughs> well, i'm jan you, jaffe jan. oh thank you i'm jan jaffe and it has been my privilege to have been your host today i'd love to hear from you and i'm offering our listeners a free 30-minute discovery and strategy session And for more information, questions, whatever, please feel free to email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at forwardtosuccess.com. You're invited to share any comments or feedback on our show website, lifecoachradionetworks.com. In addition to my solo interview show, I also host Think Tank, a roundtable discussion, and in fact, in our next uh, show we are going into in depth uh, about the topic of acceptance, so and how it is the seed of so many under other wonderful things and enables us to move forward in so many other ways. So I hope that uh, you will all join us. Uh, that next episode of Think Tank about acceptance is on July 27th at 12 noon Eastern. I have two amazing co-hosts. They're brilliant, so I hope you'll join us. So, Steve, would you care to share any closing thoughts, comments, or contact information or whatever with our listening audience? Oh, thanks, Jan. I, well, you know, there's a saying in AA that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And, um, and you know, acceptance is such a vital part of, of just living life to the fullest, uh, accepting what is in front of you, accepting who you are, uh, and being proud of that. Uh, so, you know, be who you are, be here now, and be fully alive. Uh, the path to healing, you know. 
That is. That is beautiful. What a great message. Thank you so much, Steve. And I want to remind our listeners that all of our contact information and bio information is listed in today's show description, and please feel free to contact us for any further information or any questions. I'm just going to take a moment to announce a few of our upcoming shows on this The Life Coach Radio Network on July 20th at 12 noon in depth with Jan Jaffe, that's next week, I'm interviewing Shahinaz Al-Hanawi, a fascinating woman uh, from Egypt. Uh, so please join us. That should be a great interview. And um, let's see, on the 25th, July 25th at 12 noon, Leap with Errol McClendon. And on July 27th at 12 noon, Think Tank, this is the show that I had just mentioned. All of these uh, times are Eastern Daylight Times. So, um, And if it's Pacific, you know, those would be at 9 a.m. So I want to again thank my wonderful friend and guest, Steve Peters, and our caller, Michael, for joining me today and making this show a very, very special one. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful, wonderful day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.